Amen. It's good to see you. I ask you to please go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 11 as we continue on in our Advent series as we look at the arrival and the, what it's like to anticipate Christ and his kingdom, his birth, our new birth, and all the, all the grace he gives to sinners like us. Isaiah chapter 11. Here at Advent, we, we're looking at Isaiah and the prophet Isaiah is taking us into the, into the shambles of the Israelite empire. It is in devastation. They've had corrupt leader after corrupt leader, and the nation is in peril, and the people need help, just like us today. They needed a savior, we need a savior. They need deliverance, we need deliverance. And Isaiah, just like Christmas And just like Jesus himself brings a word to people in a dire situation. So let's read the prophet Isaiah and stand together, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse one, the prophet Isaiah tells us that then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding a spirit of counsel and and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. Righteousness will be a belt around his hips and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion and the fattened calf will be together and a child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain, for the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. Let's pray together. God, we praise you for your blessings. We praise you for your goodness to us in ways we see and ways we don't see. And we praise you for your son. So King Jesus, help us now as we look at the peace and power of your kingdom. Help us to find peace and joy there, Lord. Eternal joy, eternal peace, eternal hope. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I remember being a kid, uh, you probably remember this too, trying to find stuff in your room that you can't find. You've looked everywhere your shoe, a toy, a sock, anything. You can't find it. And you tell your parents, it's not there. And what do they say? Yes, it is. I've seen it. It's not, I promise. And what do they say? If I come in there and find it, I'm gonna look again, right? And we have these same conversations in our house too. Remote controls, shoes, clothes, video game controllers. And how many times have you lost your keys? They start blaming everybody else. Did you do something with my keys? Uh, the, the kids playing with my keys? Yeah, they're playing with your keys. That's fun. Uh, your wallet? Where's my wallet? Where's my, where's my glasses? Oh, they're on my head. That's actually nothing like what Isaiah is talking about here in verse one, where we're looking for stuff. and like, oh, there it is the whole time. 
Look, look at verse one. Look at, the na- look at the state of the kingdom and the kings of Israel. What does what is Isaiah use to describe them? A stump. They, they have had horrible leader after horrible leader, corrupt king after corrupt king, that what was so majestic and so powerful with King David and so amazing with King Solomon has now been reduced to a stump. And just think about that for a second from verse one. Sometimes we read the Bible and we see words like that and we just keep moving. That is such a powerful image. The stump of Jesse, that's David's father, his lineage, his line, his family tree. He looks at it and Isaiah says, this is a stump now. What was so impressive with King David, what was far reaching and powerful and alluring, I mean, the kingdom was even bigger with Solomon, is now just an annoying stump in the ground. That's devastating. David was great, but even his branch began to rot, didn't it? Solomon was incredible, but he was even worse. His branch began to rot, and all the way, king after king after king, all that's left now, Isaiah says, is a stump. You ever look at a stump and go, that's a great stump. There's only one person I know of that would think that, and that's Daniel Nowak, and he's here. Daniel, you probably see stumps. He's a woodworker. He's an amazing artist. He probably sees stumps and thinks, that's a beautiful stump. I can make a table out of that. And he could. I've seen it. Follow him on Instagram. It's incredible. But most of us, we see stumps and we think, who cares? No one goes to the Redwood National Forest praying for stumps. You want to see powerful trees, majestic trees. And I remember at our first house when I and I first lived out in uh, Magnolia, guys going by, cutting down people's trees. And we got a tree leaning in our, in our backyard, big tree. And they said, hey, we'll cut that tree, tree down for you. No problem, we'll haul it away. Uh, do you want us to cut it down? Sure, why not? They cut it down, there's a stump. I said, hey, what about this stump? They said, yeah, we'll come back two days. Stump grinder, we're gonna get it, no problem. Cool. What do you think happened? <laughs> Nothing. We were left with an ugly two-foot stump in the middle of our yard. Now even more annoying than the tree. And we watched that stump die over time. We watched ants make it their home. We watched mushrooms grow on top. We watched the earth slowly take the stump over. And the kings of Israel right now have been reduced to a stump. They have no good leader left. The kingdom is broken. They have no hope, no chance at peace. But then verse one, look. And then a shoot will grow from the stump. A a new growth. It, It makes you do a double take. It's like you're walking past that ignorable stump one day and then all of a sudden you notice something's growing out of the top of it. I thought it was dead. I thought it was over. Now there's a sign of life, a sign of hope. It's not over. Everything that God promised through Abraham, it's not over. Everything that God promised through King David, it's not over. The line of Jesse, this family tree, there is now something shooting onto the earth from it, and his name is Jesus. The heir of the throne is here. Guys, this is why the Gospel of Matthew opens with what we think to be a boring list of names, but it opens that way on purpose to show us the heir from the stump of Jesse is here. 
The shoot from the stump has shot. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is king. Jesus is the Lord Israel needs. Jesus is the savior that sinners of this world need. That's why Christmas is more than just warm feelings. It is the royal birth announcement of the King of Kings. That's why the Magi at the beginning of the Christmas story, the wise men from the East say what they say to King Herod. Do you remember what they say? Matthew 2, 2, they say, where is he? who has been born king of the Jews. We know the king of Jesse's line is here. We know the shoot from Jesse's stump has shot up. For we saw his star at its rising and we've come to worship him. They know the king is here. And he's different from all of the branches in David's family tree. David was great. Solomon was great. There's others that were pretty good. Others that were horrible. But this one, this one's different. Why? This is is where Isaiah takes us at Christmas. Look at the king. Look at the king, the return of the king. Verse two, here's why this king is different. Verse two, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. This is different from all the other kings of the Old Testament. You can think of Saul in places where it says that the spirit of God rushed on him and then it left. And some kings, the Holy Spirit would rush on them, impact them, influence them for a moment and then leave. But with King Jesus now, it says the spirit rests. It's always on him. What do we see at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter four? The Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and rests on him. So what does that do? How does this show us what Jesus is like now? Since he's so unique from all the other kings. Look what Jesus is like, verse two. He has a spirit of wisdom spirit of understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Isaiah is inviting us personally into the way Jesus is, what Jesus is like. Do you ever think that way? What is Jesus like? This is what he's like. Beloved, he is a genius, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and strength and knowledge. This dude is uber smart. And so when you go to Jesus, when you seek Jesus, you are talking to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and the geniuses, the genius of geniuses, the wisest of them all. Sometimes when I sit with people over coffee and they, they ask me questions or, or whatever and I'm, I'm talking to them and I, sometimes I'm at a loss for words. I, I don't know what to say. I, I'm trying to find the word. You've been there too. Like, ah, what's the word? What, what do I want to say? Oh, I lost it. When you go to Jesus... He's never at a loss for words. When you go to Jesus and you talk to him, he never goes, ooh, man, what should I tell him? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. No, you never confuse him. You never catch him at a bad time. He has perfect wisdom and perfect understanding. He understands everything you're going through right now in this moment. He has wisdom for everything you've encountered in your life this year and what you will encounter next year. He sees it from other angles that that we don't even see it at. I know you've seen cars, these new cars that have the 360 degree view if you're gonna back up. I don't even have a backup camera. You should see my bumper. I mean, my my truck. I, I, I wish I just had a backup camera. That would just help a little. And if I had the 360 view, oh man. See, sometimes we think about our lives. If I just had the backup camera, 
then I could, like, eat, I could make better decisions. If I, had the, oh, you know, if I had the 360 view like Jesus does, oh, then I could understand all of, everything in my life, what's coming my way. Imagine if you had a future camera view. Oh, I'll never be in traffic. I'd never hit a red light. I'd time it all perfectly. We wish we could see these things, but listen, beloved. Jesus has the backup camera angle for your life. He has the 360 camera angle. He has the future angle of your life because he planned it all. He ordains it. He doesn't just see into the future. He plans the future. And he has the spirit of wisdom and understanding for you. When we see these attributes of Jesus, it's, it's too, um, this is what Satan would love for you, to see all these things about Jesus and go, man, that's amazing that Jesus has that and finish there. Rather, what you should do when you see that Jesus has the spirit of wisdom, understanding, the spirit of wisdom and counsel and strength, you make the connection that Jesus has that for me. He is this way for me, to help me, to serve me, to lead me. All of these attributes of Jesus' kingly leadership are for his people, for you. His counsel and strength is for you. You need to know that he's a wonderful counselor, not just so you can get a, a Bible quiz right, but that's so your life can change. So that when you're crying alone in the bathroom in the midst of your depression, you can know, my Lord, he has a, a spirit of wisdom and counsel and strength for me. That Jesus has a spirit of wisdom and understanding when you're anxious in the doctor's office and you don't want to hear what's coming next. That Jesus has a spirit of counsel and strength and power when you don't know how to navigate what, what you need to do next with your teenager. Isaiah is telling, this about, telling us this about Jesus because Jesus offers us peace. So go to Jesus, beloved. I know that you know he's a great savior, but do you know that he's a great friend? Do you know that Jesus is a great friend too? Jonathan Edwards in his amazing sermon, which you can go read online for free, The Excellency of Christ. He says at the end of the sermon, what, do you, what quality exists in good friends that doesn't exist in Jesus? He has all of the attributes of any good friend you could ever want. You want kindness? Jesus has it. You want dependability? Jesus has it. You want an ear? Jesus has it. You need a shoulder? Jesus has it. You need strength? Jesus has it. Jesus is a great savior and he is a great friend of sinners. And if you lack peace, ask yourself, where do I try to find it? Where do I try to find peace in life? Is it with Jesus or do you think that extra glass of wine, that's what's gonna do it? Is it with Jesus or, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna binge another show tonight on Netflix till I fall asleep? Is it Jesus or, you know, I'm just gonna sleep more? Is it with Jesus or I'm just gonna stay busy? I'm gonna busy myself more and more and more. Is it, I'm gonna find peace with Jesus or I'm just gonna work longer hours, I'm gonna work late and try to achieve something with my life. Beloved, do yourself a favor this Christmas and remember you are not God and that God is God and that he's made himself available to you. That he came, that God the Son came to you, born this day we sing 
and dying on the cross and rising from the dead for your sins to give you new life. And he reigns over the earth and he's available to you. This is the most startling thing for me. Not only is he the spirit of the Lord resting on him and he's wise and powerful and all of these things is that he's available to you. I thought yesterday, I have never prayed and heard a busy signal. Have you ever prayed and it gone straight to voicemail? Have you ever prayed and got the texting, typing dots and yet nothing ever come back through? Have you ever prayed and heard, burr, 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 this number's no longer in service? No. Christ is available to us. So go to him. And knowing that he dwells and his, he delights in the fear of the Lord. That's verses three through five. What, what, how does Jesus gonna navigate the world? How is he going to lead the world? And it's all summed up really in verses five. Righteousness and faithfulness. He's not gonna play favoritism. We sing the songs of Christmas. Um, he, he shows favor or goodwill towards men. He does show favor. He shows grace, but he doesn't show favoritism. Those are different. He shows grace. He shows mercy. He has righteousness and faithfulness. He doesn't have corruption or flakiness. I, I love that this aspect about Christmas, that Christmas crashes in to the middle of corruption in this world. You know, Jesus is born. He is born in the middle of a corrupt Roman empire. And the Christmas message gets said every year in the middle of corrupt America and the middle of corrupt China and the middle of corrupt Sudan. It gets, the Christmas message always crashes into the middle of corruption. doesn't matter if it's Trump or if it's Herod or if it's Caesar. The message always crashes in in the middle of human corruption to show us the kings of this time don't cut it. That there's another king and another kingdom that you can count on. So look at Christ's kingdom. Look at his kingdom. This is, this is where Isaiah goes. This is how he ends in verses six through nine. Isaiah says, run the numbers. This is what we hear all the time in American politics. Look at the numbers of the past president to the current president. Always, it doesn't, doesn't matter who's in office. Look at, the, look at the numbers. Employment, unemployment, jobs, growth, debt, military spending. Or your company compares quarters, years, Isaiah says, run the numbers on Christ's kingdom. Look at it compared to all other kingdoms. So look at it, verse six. This is, this is an incredible angle. The wolf will dwell with the lamb. The lion, the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together and a child will lead them. Discovery Channel is shut down. A wolf and a lamb, buddies, yeah. In Christ's future kingdom that he's ushering in, a, a leopard and a baby goat are gonna be friends. Yep. A, a lion is gonna hang out with that juicy, fat baby calf. Yes. How? Jesus' kingdom is filled with peace. Jesus' kingdom is the gospel of reconciliation. This is what Isaiah is teaching us. Not just Let's talk about animals. That, that's not his point. He is showing us how the gospel of reconciliation works in this world and in the future, that everything will be reconciled. Every I dotted, every T crossed, everything will be put in its right place. And I love, probably the most startling aspect is how the verse ends. Look at how it ends. A child will lead them. A child will lead a wolf. A child will lead a lamb. A child with a leopard, a goat. A child will lead a young lion. A child 
Here's what Isaiah is telling us. Every human in Christ's kingdom, no matter how big or how small, how old or young, will reign with dignity and strength. Even children that are vastly ignored, they will reign with power and they will have responsibility and they are valued by Jesus. This is why like our kids love to help so much, even when we perceive they're not very helpful. It's just in them. I want to lead. I want to help. I want to serve. Just a few weeks ago when we had that freeze, I had to move this heavy potted plant into the garage. It was so heavy. And I'm going outside and Oliver says, where are you going? Where are you going? I said, oh, I got to move this big, heavy plant in. He goes, I'll help you. He was five at the time. And I said, ah, buddy, it's pretty heavy, but come on. He goes, well, I got my babies. (laughs) Bring your babies. Let's go. It's just in them. I want to help. And Isaiah says, and in that future kingdom, every human will have dignity and respect and honor that was lost on this side. And it will be given back to us in the future. And we, we see hints of this today about reconciliation. When you see videos on social media, uh, a tiger and a dog playing together, what is that? <laughs> it's a foreshadowing of the new earth. When you see kittens and you see elephants hanging out together, it's incredible. And it does something. If, if that doesn't do anything to your heart, you need to see a counselor. It just does something to our hearts. We go, that's so cool. I saw a video of humans playing with orcas, you know, the, throwing the blanket up and then hiding from them. You do with dogs because they're dogs, but you do it with an orca whale. And the orca whale was like looking at the person, finding them. I thought, I can't wait to play with orcas in the new earth. Because in the new earth, everything is reconciled in Christ's kingdom. Even enemies can be at peace. And probably the biggest foreshadowing of this, of enemies being reconciled, was on December 7th, 1914. The Christmas truce, Christmas truce of World War I. I don't know if you've heard about this. So on December 7th of 1914, the Pope suggested during World War I that the warring sides should cease fire and celebrate Christmas. And the warring country said, no way, not a chance. But some soldiers did. And starting on Christmas Eve, 1914, some German soldiers and British troops began to sing Christmas carols across lines. And then sunrise, Christmas Day, 1914, World War I, some German soldiers came out of their trenches, walked towards the British troops to the Allied soldiers, going across no man's land and yelling out, Merry Christmas in English. And the British soldiers were ready to fire, thought it was a prank, thought it was a trick, and they saw they were unarmed, and they're yelling out, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And then the British troops come out. They shake hands, and they began to exchange Christmas presents, the things that soldiers had, cigarettes, plum puddings, and they sang Christmas carols together. And some soldiers, some German ones, they lit Christmas trees in their trenches, and some of them together got together and played a soccer game on the field. And one German lieutenant said about the Christmas truce, how marvelously wonderful yet strange it was. The English officers felt the same way about it. Thus, Christmas, the celebration of love, managed to bring mortal enemies together as friends for a time. Beloved, Christmas makes reconciliation possible for enemies. 
That's what Christ came for. Between God and us, between God and man, his enemies. Christ was born for it. Christ died for it. Christ rose for it. Christ ascended for it. And Christ is returning for it. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, that everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. This is to every Christian. Christmas is also the gift of us being reconciled to God. Then it's God giving us a gift of you go and tell people the message of reconciliation. God reconciled to man. God, we sing it, God and man reconciled. That is that, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, this Christmas, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf this Christmas, be reconciled to God. God takes his enemies, us, and he brings us home through the death of his son, paying for our sins. And now we can go out like Isaiah and say, there is hope. While the world looks hopeless, there is hope. Jesus is king. You can be reconciled to God. You can get a new start. You can have a new life. You can have a new way to be human. That's what verse seven is. Look at verse seven. This one threw me for a loop for the longest time, but then it, it clicked this week. Verse seven, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like cattle. Eating straw. Let me help you real quick. Don't read this verse as thinking, we'll never eat steak in the new kingdom. That's not, I know that's what you're worried about. That's not what this is. He's not just even giving us a picture of different taste buds of animals. Here's what he's highlighting through poetry, through metaphor. In Christ's eternal kingdom, you get a new nature. Lions are gonna eat straw. Bears, bear cubs, and cows will play together, nap together, because they have a new nature. And you in Christ's kingdom, you'll have a new nature too. This is the gift to you at Christmas. The sins you find enjoyable now, you won't in Christ's eternal kingdom. You won't want to sin anymore in Christ's kingdom. Can you imagine that? I mean, we, we want to not sin, but we're still tempted and we still desire it. In Christ's eternal kingdom that he's bringing by his birth and by his second birth from the dead, we won't even desire to sin. We won't even be able to be tempted to sin. This is what Jesus gives us. Because, here's why, verse eight and nine. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit and a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other in my entire holy mountain. So he says, imagine an infant playing in a rattlesnake's den. Tessa Eads was bitten by a copperhead recently. Imagine your infant rolling around in a copperhead den just laughing, having a great time. We would all panic and scream because it's deadly. And you, you might even feel a little anxious just trying to picture that. Picture your little baby rolling around playing with a coral snake, putting it in its mouth. But in the new Jerusalem, 
In Christ's eternal kingdom, no worries, no, no fear. A toddler could reach for their ball coiled up there on top of that coral snake. Why? What do snakes symbolize often in the Bible? Satan. Beginning in Genesis 3, you see it in Exodus. So here's what Isaiah is telling us, that even a baby could take a nap next to a snake. Satan is no longer a threat. Evil will be eliminated from the universe. It will not threaten us anymore. Satan is no longer a threat because Jesus is king and he has eliminated the power of the serpent. He loses. This is what, this is what Isaiah is telling us. Satan is done for once and for all that you don't even need to carry a shovel in the new earth to see snakes. You can play with them because Jesus, King Jesus has thought of everything. If you've ever, if you've ever been to Disney World, you realize one thing real quick. They think of everything. Everything. Man, I wish there was a trash can. Oh, there's one. I wish I had somewhere to spit my gum at before this ride. Oh, there it is. Man, I, I lost this. Where can I find it? Oh, that's where I need to go. Whether it's you know, food being shaped in the head of Mickey or walking by and seeing some shrubs shaped in Mickey or the right line, the right exit, the right traffic. I, all of it, they think of everything. And beloved, in Christ's kingdom, in his holy mountain, nothing is overlooked. You will not walk into Christ's kingdom and think, I wish you would have done it a little bit like this. I mean, that was cool, but I really wish. No, you will be so satisfied, so comforted, so filled with joy, so filled with peace, because in Christ's holy mountain, verse nine, nothing is forgotten, nothing's overlooked. All evil will be removed from the world. Just think about that. You won't have to lock your doors. Every security company system will be out of business in the new earth. There'll be no patrol, no military, no nukes, no center for disease control, no cancer. Amen, Amen John. No eyeglasses, no chiropractors. Sorry if that's your job. I'm out of job too when we get there. No pain. And here's probably the most encouraging thing of all, I think about the new Jerusalem. There'll be no accountability groups. No places where you'll have to go and confess your sin. There will be no sin. You'll walk in newness of life with Christ because Christmas is all about Christ crushing evil and the knowledge of the Lord being everywhere as verse nine and 10 say. The land will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Do you know that he has a counsel, a spirit of counsel and wisdom and understanding and power and love and mercy? Do you know the Lord's cross? Do you know his tomb? Do you, do you know the Lord's heart? Do you know the Lord? Trust him and you will be set free and you will have peace at last. Peace at last, because Jesus is king. Let's pray together. King Jesus, you are, you are the one who shot out of the stump of all the failed kings of Israel. 
where David failed, where Solomon failed, where all the kings of the north and the south failed, you reign and you welcome us mercifully, graciously into your kingdom. And so help us, King Jesus, to find peace in you and peace with you, not, not peace and hoping we get the perfect family picture this year, not, not peace and hoping that we could have everybody around for Christmas and New Year's, just have some great family moments, but even that we could have peace in the middle of conflict. We could have peace in the middle of turmoil. We could have peace in the middle of pain because we have you, King Jesus. Help us now to look forward to that holy mountain, to look forward to your eternal kingdom and to know that we're citizens of that place right now. And it's in your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen.